The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. Welcome to the Future of Business podcast, where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories embedded in the Oxford MBA and beyond, and how they will shape the future of business. This is Lakshmi, and I will be hosting our conversation today with Princess Agina. Hello. Princess, yes, that is her real name. <laughs> that is usually how she introduces herself to anyone she meets. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's my little tagline. <laughs> that I is Princess, and yes, that is my real name. <laughs> perfect. Um, so Princess is here um, as a friend, a fellow MBA, and uh, one of our inaugural lead law scholars this year. She's ex-Teach for America, ex-Peace Corps, ex-Fulbright. There's no fellowship that you can find in the US that she's not done. Uh, she's ex-Walmart. She's an edtech entrepreneur in the making. And that right there is why we really wanted to have her in the podcast. This one is very close to home for me. Uh, it is about the future of education. I used to work with Teach for India before coming here. And so uh, I'm just so happy that this is going to be my last podcast this year uh, to end on a note that's so close to home. Oh, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much for being here, Princess. And thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm excited. And what better person to engage on this topic with? So, yeah. That's perfect. Um, you have done many things and you've been to many, many places. Uh, and we will try to go into as many of it today. Uh, but I want to start off with something as touchy-feely as we can get to touchy-feely. Uh, like, because it is the experience that you have at Teach for America that's closest to me. Mm-hmm. And at Teach for India, we always believe one day all children. So could you tell us, uh, you know, we, we said one day all children will attain an excellent education. Mm-hmm. And I just want to hear, like, what does excellent education mean for you? So for me, I would say excellent education looks like a combination of like practical skills. So money management, I know for me, I didn't learn how to, for example, manage a credit card or what a credit score was, which in the United States and places like the United States um, who have the same credit score system, it's a huge deal. Like it impacts whether you get a car, like rent a car even, or buy a home or rent a home. Um, And even sometimes it affects if you get a job or not. So those are really big things that I think should be, you know, provided in classroom settings. Um, And then also it's like advancing knowledge is another thing that I think is extremely important. So um, just skill sets that's outside of these maybe basic necessities and then developing interest and natural talents um, from the actual participants, the children themselves. Like they have natural talents that sometimes get dampened um, by this very strict curriculum that doesn't allow them to express themselves freely. So I think for me, it's like a combination of those three things, practical skills, advancing knowledge, and developing uh, natural abilities and talents. That is that is very, very comprehensive. And thank you for <laughs> sharing that. And I think it's also really nice to be uh, in Oxford at the Side Business School MBA, because I think as you were talking, I was thinking about the number of people working on things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just off the top of the mind, I'm thinking of Taku, who's one of the school scholars this year who runs Emergination Africa. And Emergination Africa aims um, at, you know, establishing an Africa where all young people are equipped to create opportunities for themselves and others mm. and the kind of opportunities yeah. that you spoke about. Um, and there's also um, last year uh, from the previous cohort, we had uh, uh, Luna come out. Luna was, uh, again, an app um, founded by uh, Jazz and Joe uh, to help teens through puberty 
poverty and they recently uh, won a grant uh, as well of about 50000 pounds i think mm-hmm. so i think just like to be in this place to see all of them like you know come up with different kinds of solutions that's required and not just children's education uh, we have uh, izzy uh, isabel heho who's working currently she's working on building a financial education app for women which speaks directly to uh, you know the issue that you were speaking yes. about and and then there's you you are working on a global language learning platform for adult education as well yes. so that is really exciting as well do tell us about yeah, that yeah it's very exciting yes um yeah connect you so i'm working on it with a classmate nohe um and a friend um so connect you is a language learning platform that essentially enables employees of multinational companies to engage with their peers in different offices around the world So through our platform coworkers in different countries have conversations with each other around common interests. So that could be business topics based on their industry but also could be shared hobbies like sports or poetry. So things that you may not engage on with your coworkers at work. Um and this is all done through the medium of language exchange and language learning. In 2020 alone companies worldwide were spending over 357 billion dollars on learning and development resources for their employees. So they understand that this is a real issue. And international companies especially are really trying to figure out how they can refresh their company culture in an era where more and more people are working remotely and barely interact with their coworkers outside of like emails and Zoom calls and things of that nature. So when you layer on top of that this need and desire for more diversity and more inclusion a lot of these large organizations simply just they don't know where to start and for me it's really clear because of my background i've worked internationally my entire career and learning the local language wasn't just a way for me to get my job done but also to build really meaningful relationships with people and help us to better understand each other's culture so when i joined peace corps in costa rica for example the conversations with my host mom in broken spanish when i first got there was completely different from the conversations that her and i had or the project partners that i worked with had um when i became fluent in spanish uh we learned so much more about each other and we really had like a newfound respect for one another so that same warmth and respect and intercultural understanding is something that we want to bring to large corporations via connectu and it's also a fact that as you said learning a new skill a new language um and understanding cultural nuances opens up a whole new realm of opportunities for professionals and businesses alike so we believe that it's like a, a game changer oh it is it absolutely <laughs> is and um at the risk of oversimplifying this mm-hmm. could i ask if this is something like a duolingo meets bumble yes so some people hate that analogy but i actually think it's a very like clear way to describe it because we want to make sure that it's like a clear interface something that's seamless that's fun to interact with Um and the whole part of it is um the unique aspect of it is the immersive communication experience. And so Bumble why we kind of use that as an example is because you get to like have video calls and video dates with people and they're trying to make um especially during the pandemic try to make those date experiences bring those into your home and that's what we're trying to do with language learning like bring that immersive experience that you would have like going to a different country and bring that into your home while also connecting with your coworkers in a different way in like a very meaningful way and build those relationships. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also like I want to take a step back there and I want to actually remember the time that you know when I just left Teach for India. Mm-hmm. I do think it was like, you know, 
a peak of covid and like it was all virtual well we were personally already a virtual team mm-hmm. that still didn't uh, you know stop us from feeling burnt out uh, there was a big issue like with just people leaving jobs or like you know a lot of people just going through a lot of different things so i completely hear it when you say about like culture and this was like a non-profit right mm-hmm. uh, if you if you look at like for profit jobs if you look at jobs that were a little bit even further detached from the ground i can totally imagine how burnt out and you know just uh, the great resignation mm-hmm. and what not so we've heard so much and actually i did not know that the numbers were in billions so that is yeah. very surprising so, to yeah. know uh, can totally see the product and i'm also thinking that uh, while it's amazing that this is what connect you is solving for mm-hmm. i do think there's more aspects to this problem right like for instance even in teach for india we did automate a lot of the roles and i think there was like a lot of fear about people losing jobs but of mm-hmm. course like we always had new things to do because as a non-profit you are under resourced yes, so you just make course. up space for more things mm-hmm. but i do think there is a fear of things getting automated and people losing jobs in general in the market and even that does mean adult reskilling like mm-hmm. can people pick up new skills boot camps are more popular these days yeah. are you seeing those trends also like you know um, be big in the future of education yeah so my most recent role prior to the mba and i'm still um, working part time in this role was um, is as an economic development specialist for the island of hawaii so the county so it's like um civil servant position and it's in, within the research and development department for the county and so what we're trying to figure out is how do we prepare how do we support educational institutions as they prepare for the future of work and especially when you look at tourism heavy um communities um such as the island of Hawaii that has a lot of influx of of tourists they are experiencing already this um automation revolution essentially in all, all aspects of the of the sector so one example of this is i went to a restaurant the other day um on the island and well the other day being last year <laughs> prior to the nba but yes when i went there essentially what i saw was that my tray like i ordered on the screen as i sat down to boot um and then my food instead of it coming out from a you know a waitress or a waiter it came out on this tray that was like automated and then it's you know asked for our dirty plates and we put it on the you know the conveyor belt and it was just like even that job is now being um automated which is great because it's convenient and it's cool and um you know there's a lot of you know positive aspects to that but it's also for a lot of people worrisome because that used to be their jobs So now we're trying to figure out how can we support um reskilling and also in the case of Hawaii trying to figure out how do we do it in a way that is still culturally relevant in the sense of even bringing back these you know previous traditions the traditions that makes Hawaii truly what it is um you know whether it's through the agricultural um practices from native Hawaiians or you know other industries how can we um support that and um do it in a way that yeah it's still technologically advanced no absolutely i think that makes so much sense because i'm also thinking like while i spoke about automation is one transition mm-hmm. and we spoke about like you know virtual work is another transition i think the more you think about it there is climate transition mm-hmm. uh, like what what happens to like tourism mm-hmm. in that context right like sustainable tourism what does what does that mean for businesses what does that mean for employees yeah. what does that mean for adult reskilling there's just so much to be figured in this ecosystem and it's just such a complex problem and trying uh, to figure out right? what's overhype and what's actually happening now because i think there is a lot of fear um which is you know grounded in reality but there's a lot of fear that's grounded in 
like sci-fi movies or like <laughs> or Absolutely. just yeah so it's kind of like trying to balance those expectations and um yeah just trying to reskill as quickly as possible so that we can make sure that people have jobs no, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, one thing is to survive and the other thing is to thrive. Exactly. Uh, so, like, you know, I think in terms of being proactive, I was recently talking to, like, um, our career coach here uh, in, in, uh, for fintech, mm-hmm. Sean Tommy, and he was saying how he's encouraging, uh, like, Revenue and Monzo to go in and do, like, high school programs to encourage mm-hmm. more girls to take up, like, STEM. Mm-hmm. And I know there are, uh, you know, there are programs that are encouraging more women to enter uh, blockchain. Yes. Uh, right? So, um, in that sense, I'm thinking when we talk about sustainable tourism, when we talk about like, you know, automation, mm-hmm. do you think, um, I mean, I did ask you the question about adult reskilling and I know you're working in adult learning right now, mm-hmm. but do you think um, just because you've worked with the Hawaiian government, the county mm-hmm. before, and like you also have experience with Teach for America, you, you've had education with school mm-hmm. education. So I'm just wondering how early should you go in? Like how yeah. continuous is this process? So yeah, it's definitely starts from primary school and I can use language learning as a quick anecdote because that's something that I'm I'm really passionate about as you can see with connection um but yeah so one example is the fight um or one example of the fight for like better primary school education resulted from the Hawaiian language and how that was banned from school instruction in um about 1896 after the U.S. government illegally overthrew um the Hawaiian government and how that that ban from you know the language their culture being banned from the education system how that impacted native hawaiians in particular was very significant and created this colonized colonialized view of quality education in hawaii um and so activists had to really fight hard to lift the ban prohibiting the language from being taught in schools and they officially won that fight in 1986 about but that struggle still persisted even in 2019 um, as recent as that, for language to be reincorporated and not looked down upon. So it's something that is extremely important. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense and that rings a bell uh, as well as I think about, like, you know, just the struggle that, for instance, in the past years, like in Singapore, in Sri Lanka, there's been a lot of struggle about Tamil uh, education, mm-hmm. uh, you know, also being a part of the curriculum for people from the Tamil diaspora. Mm-hmm. And even in India, there's a view that, you know, in Tamil Nadu, there's a view that English education is better. Obviously, there's been a lot of activists who have been fighting against it. But there's also been a lot of tension there because students who go to like Tamil education till like class 10 or class 12 and mm-hmm. suddenly have to adopt to like English education at college level. Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of struggle there. And even in Teach for India, we've had conflicts to say, are we going into classrooms and saying that we value English education and math education and like, you know, being a good employee mm-hmm. over like, you know, training you to be like entrepreneurs so like in recent years I think arts education and entrepreneurial education has become more important as you said at the start is you know how you would value excellent education so I think that we are coming a full circle in terms of how it should be that makes a lot of sense and I'm I'm really really keen to hear more about any other trends that you've seen like you know uh, at a primary school level like you know what other factors are at play there that makes this struggle really hard Mm. um so when we look at the education system in the U.S., for example, there are a lot of social inequalities um, that affects primary education and then that gets perpetuated as that child grows up and tries to get a career. So when I reflect on my time at Teach for America, for example, I was in Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, working on the strategy and operations role there. And something that was shocking is just how 
unequal the, the education system is. When you think about suspension rates, for example, um, for black students, it's three times more likely, um, black students are three times more likely to get suspended for the same disciplinary issues displayed as white students in the US. So that kind of creates um, a, an opt out of the system essentially, because once you get suspended, often especially, then you're now, it, it's, there's a barrier back to the school essentially because now you're influenced by what's happening maybe in the streets or what's happening around you. And then you see that you're not being valued in a system and you feel like you're being kind of worked against. So there's that issue. And then there's also the issue of, um, you know, minority students being more likely to be placed in special education because of disciplinary, disciplinary issues and teachers who don't come from the same culture as them, um, not understanding how to deal with students from a different culture. So instead, they place them in special education classes, which are oftentimes under-resourced. And then there's just the, the yeah. So one last example that I'll quickly share is uh, redlining. And a lot of people don't associate redlining, which for those who are not aware, redlining is a discriminatory practice in which services, so that could be financial or otherwise, are essentially held withheld from a specific community. And so um, speaking of education, the practice of redlining has a huge impact on the quality of education for certain demographics, because in this instance, in the United States, um, minorities are usually the, you know, recipients of redlining, the victims essentially of redlining. And so they are put into specific neighborhoods essentially, and these neighborhoods are oftentimes acid limited and therefore the schools that they attend are asset limited and under-resourced. So it has a huge impact from, you know, small primary education to the rest of their lives, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, I, I'm, 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 this is not the first time I'm hearing about this because I was there when you shared about this in the Government Relationships Club. But this has been the first year that I've heard about this. Um, and it's still shocking, uh, you know, that this exists and there's such a systemic issue at play. And, you know, um, th there's this uh, saying in Tamil, uh, like we, we all uh, we all grow up thinking, which means everything that you dream has to come true. Mm. And it makes you believe that, you know, oh, you just work hard and you, you know, mm -hmm. you reach it. And it's not, it's not, it's not that, not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think every time I hear it, that's what comes to my mind. I'm, I'm so grateful that we have these conversations. I'm so grateful to you for sharing. Uh, but this is not the note that I want to end on, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I do want us to end on something more positive. Uh, can you talk to us about, like, what do you see as solutions to, like, you know, systemic issues like this? Um, yeah, just from your experience, what have you seen working? What gives you hope, right? Because you are an educational entrepreneur, you're still in the domain, you still want to continue in the domain. Mm -hmm. So how are you not yet burnt out? What keeps you going? Yeah, so for me, that's why I created um, my social enterprise, um, Business U. So essentially, Business U is a program that I started in New Orleans, Louisiana, because I saw that a lot of the businesses, the successful businesses in Louisiana, in New Orleans in particular, um, were not owned by you know African Americans, which make up sixty percent, more than sixty percent of the population in New Orleans, at least at the time. Um, and so I wondered what the reasoning for, you know, this was, this is just something that just naturally happened. But after talking to different community members and different business owners, what I saw a pattern was that there was very limited resources on entrepreneurship. And so 
um, I decided to create Business You as a means to teach youth about entrepreneurship and social entrepre entrepreneurship as well. And so what gives me hope when it comes to reflecting on the education system and looking at these like disproportionate um, or these, these inequalities essentially is being able to be on the ground essentially. Um, I've worked on the policy end of education. I've worked on, um, you know, with nonprofits and things of that nature and governments, but actually being able to look at the students and see their face light up when they get something is an amazing experience. And actually being able to adjust my curriculum, I create the curriculum and being able to adjust it based off of the feedback that I'm getting from the students because they feel comfortable talking to me about not getting something or not feeling like something is necessarily the most relevant or the most up-to-date when it comes to today's um, you know business climate. Like they are so intelligent. And so having this type of um, interaction with them is very motivating because it's like, wow, look at these leaders and look how comfortable they are with communication. And, you know, I've wished that I've had that skill set and that um, room to have that skill set when I was younger. So that's what motivates me to see that they have that comfortability and they feel like they can really be leaders. I absolutely love that. I, I love hearing about student leadership and like faces getting lit up. I mean, that is the kind of thing that you know, you live for. It's been a while that I've taught, but I think that's the kind of thing that really kept me going as a teacher as well. And uh, today what keeps me going is people like you, uh, people like you uh, who are creating these solutions, right? Like, of course, you can't solve for everything. There's so mm -hmm. much. And um, like you said, even in India, again, every country has its own problems. So in India, mm -hmm. it's a little bit different. There's a rural-urban divide. And even within urban, like, for instance, even within Chennai, I used to work with Teach for India Chennai. Even in Chennai, like, we had North Madras and South Madras. Mm -hmm. And um, South Madras just attracted more funding because it was situated near the IT parks. Okay. And so IT companies used to be willing to fund more to South Madras schools because it meant their employees could come over the weekend and like spend time with the kids. Mm. But North Madras mm -hmm. schools would not attract the same kind of funding. It would not attract the same kind of teachers. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think some of these issues that you speak about are like, sort of pervasive but some of them are very specific to context mm -hmm. so there's just so much and of course no one entrepreneur can solve it all uh, but the hope is always going to be that you know you all plant these seeds here and there and they all come together in some form mm -hmm. and um, I also want to call out like uh, two other entrepreneurs from Teach for India who really inspired me um, one actually is the person who I stole that kind of uh, instance from basically they went on Gautam and Nisha from Teach for India they went on to create Kanavu Mm -hmm. which is literally dream mm -hmm. based on that very uh, uh, poetry that I mentioned. They went on to create like they took on five schools in Kadalur, which is rural India, rural Tamil Nadu. And they're now leading it for like over three, four years now. Um, mm -hmm. And there's another group of, um, you know, young people from Teach for India who are like focusing on arts education. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jigyasa leads this program called Slam Out Loud. And she's now in Howard and she was named 30 under 30 last year. Oh. Um, and so I think just hearing people like you, like, you know, just continue to believe that there is a change that we can create mm -hmm. and it's worth fighting for. And you are making strides every day. And I'm really, really happy to, yeah, just be here and hear your journey. And oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun experience. And I, I love to have these engaging conversations. So thank you. Thank you so much, Princess, and uh, thank you everyone who tuned in to listen. Uh, this is the Future of Business podcast, and like I said, this is my last episode, but this is not the only episode we have out there. There are more episodes coming this year, and we've been very happy to bring these episodes to you. Uh, if you don't already follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from, 
please do follow us thank you so much for your support thank you